0: So we've been working our way through Revelation. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It's a book that I said in the prayer was written by John to seven churches in Turkey as a gift to them. He had a vision and he wrote it down and sent it to these churches. And we're up to chapters 15 and 16 is what we're going to look at tonight. Chapters 15 and 16 found on page 1003. 1,003, and we're going to read them and take a look at them, so it'll be helpful to you to have a Bible near you. And I know that we ran out of pens, by the way, somewhere along the way, so share pens if if there's a pen shortage near you. So we've been uh, walking our way through, we had uh, the seven seals and the seven trumpets, and in chapter 16, we have seven bowls, And seven is the number of completion, the number of totality. And this is the last of the seven. So this is the complete of the completes. So here's John at the beginning of Revelation 15. Then I saw another portent in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them, the wrath of God is ended." And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, great and amazing are your deeds, Lord God, the Almighty, Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your judgments have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the temple of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came seven angels with seven plagues robed in bright linen with golden sashes across their chests. Then one of the four living creatures, those are the four living creatures we learned about way back at the beginning that are always before the throne of God, gave the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were ended. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured his bowl on the earth, and a foul and painful sore came on those who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped its image. The second angel poured his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, you are just, O holy one, who are and who were." "'For you have judged these things "'because they shed the blood of the saints and prophets. "'You have given them blood to drink. "'It's what they deserve.' "'And I heard the altar respond, "'Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, "'your judgments are true and just.' "'The fourth angel poured his bowl on the sun, "'and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. "'They were scorched by the fierce heat, "'but they cursed the name of God "'who had authority over these plagues, "'and they did not repent and give him glory.' The fifth angel poured his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores and they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up in order to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And you may remember... We've talked about the fact that Euphrates was a boundary between Rome and their enemies, the Parthians. So the idea that the river is being dried up means the enemies can come in. It doesn't literally mean the Parthians. It means a way for the enemies to come in unheeded. It's not a reference to the kings who come to Jesus to bring him gold, frankincense, and some myrrh. It's not what it's talking about. Prepare the way for the kings from the east, And I saw three foul spirits like frogs coming from the mouth of the dragon, from the mouth of the beast, and from the mouth of the false prophet. These are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. See, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and is clothed, not going about naked and exposed to shame. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Pause. This is the only place in scripture where the word Armageddon is used. It's like been totally blown out of proportion in the 2,000 years since this was written. Uh, it comes from the Hebrew word Har, which means mountain, and a city which is called Megiddo. So it's Har-Megiddo, har the mountain of Megiddo. And this was a place where many, many, many battles had taken place over the years. So when everybody who was reading this would read Harmageddon, they would just think, oh, that's a big battlefield. That's a battlefield. It's like um, they're going to have their tournament at the arena, right? And everyone would know what the arena. Or at at Madison Square Garden, like everyone would know what that is, right? It's that kind of idea. Like that's where everything's going to go down, the place where everything always goes down. That's just what it means. The seventh angel poured his bowl into the air And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a violent earthquake such as not occurred since people were upon the earth. So violent was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. God remembered great Babylon and gave her the wine cup of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away. And no mountains were to be found, and huge hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, dropped from heaven on people, until they cursed God for the plague of the hail. So fearful was that plague. This is the word of the Lord. So imagine this scenario with me. It's the day after Halloween. You're in middle school. You come home at the end of the day, and you're the first person home. And you know that the days of trick-or-treating for you are waning. In fact, this may have been your last shot. And so you have an idea. You go into your bedroom where your candy stash is hidden, and you take out all the things that nobody wants to get. You know what I'm talking about? The apples, a penny, box of raisins, (laughs) right? The milk duds that don't have three in and they're really hard to chew, right, those things. You get all that stuff that you don't want, you get it all together and you take it over to your sister's room and you find her candy stash because she's hid it in the same place every year, And you put your stuff you don't want there and you take all the good stuff, the Skittles, the Starbursts, the chocolate bars, you take that all back to your room and you think, this is the best plan ever. And you sit on your bed and you start eating the Skittles and you start to get Skittle fingers. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And then you're like in the chocolate bar, you got a little chocolate on your face and you're like like in a sugar happy high right there sitting on your bed until you hear, what? Happen to my candy. And you wait. And she's smart, so she doesn't go to you. She goes to mom and dad. And you hear the muffled voices from the other side of the house. And then you hear the three sets of footsteps coming down the hall. And they open the door, and there you are. Skittle fingers, chalk on your face. You got a pile of wrappers next to you. You have sinned. (laughs) There's no getting around it. There's no denying it. The evidence is everywhere. And you look up and you see the wrath of your parents. And they look at you and they start saying, they like can't even put words together. It's like, how did you, what are you, how did you, why did you? They're just, they just—they just can't believe that you would do this. They start to like do the stutter anger thing, and then finally they kind of gather themselves together and say, "All right, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna give all of the candy back to us. You're gonna buy the candy that you've already eaten from your sister. That's what we're gonna do. And now you need to apologize to your sister." Are you, going to apologize? Are you going to apologize to your sister? No. <laughs> I left her some stuff. I said, oh, that's how it's going to be. We will be back in 30 minutes. Just think about your decision. So you sit there. Now you're just sticky, a little bit annoyed. And you just wait. But you, you kind of get on your phone and you try to manage with sticky fingers. You just wait. 30 minutes comes by. Come back in. you ready to apologize to your sister? No. Okay. You can make that choice. Give me your phone. Give me your tablet. Give me your laptop. No screens for 48 hours. You're like, come on. Over chocolate? Seriously? Mom and dad walk out of the room with all your gear, all your stuff. Now you're just in your room, like with just books or something. And you're getting more annoyed at this whole thing. Like, you just wanted some good candy for Pete's sake. Like, this whole thing has been blown out of abortion. What is the big deal anyway? Mom and dad come back into the room. Thirty minutes later, they look at you. They say, okay, now, are you ready to apologize to your sister? And you say, because you're just owning it now, you say, no. And they say, all right, well, then, no sleepover on Friday. I know. <laughs> and you go, are you kidding me? Because this sleepover was going to be epic. You were first going to all go to Sky Zone together, you were going like, to break somebody's ankle on the trampolines. <laughs> And then you're going to go back home because your friend got a new TV and the latest PlayStation and a new game, and you're going to play it all night and order pizza. And his mom was like the best cook ever, was going to make this huge brunch. Like it was going to be epic, and you were so excited. And now your parents are standing in your room telling you that you can't go. I don't think so, you say. you mean I can't go on the sleepover? What do you mean? You're the worst parents ever. This is not fair. This is not fair at all. You are the worst parents ever. Why are you doing this to me? And they look at you and they say, because we love you too much to have you grow up to be a jerk. <laughs> and right now you're a thief, you're a liar, and you're kind of being a jerk. And we love you too much. We don't want this for you. Have you been there? (laughs) Does that look too close to home for some of you? (laughs) That idea, that exchange where the, the wrath comes and there's a chance, and there's a chance, and there's a chance, and there's a chance, that's what's going on in Revelation 15, 16. That's what's happening right here. You see, through the book of Revelation, there has been this growing divide between those who follow the lamb, and the lamb is Jesus, and those who follow the beast, and the beast is just pure evil. The beast is a descendant of the dragon or related to the dragon. It's unclear, but they're together, dragon, beasts. So it's Nero right then, or it's the emperor that they currently have, or it's Rome, it's paganism, it's, it's idolatry. The beast is everything evil? And there are people that have been turning throughout the book and they've been turning to follow the beast and worship the beast and say that the beast is the best thing ever. And so God comes to them now because God loves them and God wants them to turn. And so this is what he does. In his wrath, he still loves them. And he sends one plague and then another plague, and then another plague. And did you notice that it starts to say, and they didn't repent, and they didn't repent, and they didn't repent. And this whole thing is set up by the followers of the lamb. The followers of the lamb are people who have kind of, they've gotten it. And they say in their song, they say, who's not going to fear you? Like, Who's not going to worship you once they know how powerful you are and how amazing you are? Who will not worship you and bring you glory? Like, who wouldn't do that? And then here we have in the next chapter people who don't do that. And God tries and tries to send them warning after warning after warning, and they do not repent, and they do not repent. And by the end, they're cursing God. You're the worst God ever. and we read Revelation 15 and 16, and we think, how stupid are these people? Right? Like, what will it take? How much does God have to shake up your life for you to finally come to your senses and turn it around? Like, what will it take? You read, you read, you read. They curse God, they don't repent, they curse God. And you're like, really? What will it take for these people To turn their lives around. It's a good question. What will it take for you? What will it take for you? What's the sin? That you're holding on to. And God's coming up into your life and saying, Isn't it time you let that go? What's the lie that you keep telling? What's the sexual sin you find yourself falling into again and again? How many things do other people have that you covet over and over and over again? How much does envy take up residence in your soul? Is it going to have to be a car accident for you to come to understand that you're addicted to a substance Is it going to take a broken relationship for you to come to understand that lying does not make people trust you more? Do you have to get caught plagiarizing before you realize that that kind of stealing is sin? What's it going to take? What's it going to take? What God wants from these people, he wants them to repent. He pours out his wrath on them for them to come to understand that they can repent, they can say they're sorry, there can be a turn here. But God's end game isn't just for people to say they're sorry. God's end game isn't just for people to say we're sorry. God's end game isn't repentance, it's reconciliation. It's like in this little family drama that we're acting out. The end goal for the Bob and the dad in this situation is not just that you say you're sorry, probably begrudgingly, to your sister, I'm sorry. Their end game is that there's reconciliation. Reconciliation. That you say you're sorry and they forgive you and you say you're sorry and she forgives you and there's family harmony again and your sister grows up and she doesn't hate you and you grow up and you're not a jerk. (laughs) And that you love each other deeply and you have each other's backs. That's their end game. That's their goal is reconciliation. So imagine if into this little family drama that we've built up, Big sister comes home and she walks into the house and she can just tell it's tense. You know how that is when you walk in the house and you can just tell it's tense. She's like. And little sister is only too happy to tell her exactly what you did wrong and exactly what mom and dad said your punishments were. And big sister is home late because she had practice because they're in the playoffs and the playoffs are happening this weekend. And so she comes in, she's had a long day, she's sweaty and she's dirty and she walks into your room and she says, I hear you've had a little bit of trouble. And you say, I don't want to talk about it. And she says, I know but are you ready to apologize? I don't know. Okay, she says. What if we do this? What if you say you're sorry and I'll take it all? And you look at her and you're like, what do you mean you'll take it all? And she says, no, I'll, I'll take it all. I'll buy back the candy. I'll give up my screen time for 48 hours. Mom and dad can have my phone. And I'll give up my Friday night so you can have your Friday night. And you look at her and go, you're not going to do that. The playoffs are Friday night. You're not giving up your playoffs so I can go on a sleepover. And she looks at you and she says, yeah, that's what I'm offering you. Because I love you. And that's right when you know this story is completely fictional. (laughs) Because nobody who's worked that hard for their entire season to make the playoffs is going to give that up so that their kid's sibling can go to a sleepover. That is not going to happen. No one's going to make that kind of sacrifice. No one's willing to lay that down. No one's willing to sacrifice that much. Right? Right? I mean, who would sacrifice that much for you? This is church, so the right answer is... Yes. 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 You know, I think we've heard so often, if we've grown up in the church or around church, we've heard so often, Jesus died to save us from our sins. That it doesn't really, like, hit us. And when we say... Jesus would give up his playoff game so you could go to a sleepover. We're like, what? (laughs) Jesus did that for us. The things that are precious to him, he laid down for us. And it wasn't just the physical act of dying on the cross. That wasn't the whole of it. So the night before he died, so this is Thursday in Holy Week, so he dies on Good Friday. He's dead and in the tomb Friday, Saturday. Sunday morning is when he rises from the dead. So Thursday night, he has a meal with his disciples, and after the meal, they go out into a garden. And Jesus goes off by himself to pray, And the gospel writers, the people who wrote the stories about Jesus, they say that in that moment when he was praying, his sweat was like drops of blood. That's how intense he was praying. And you know what he was praying? This is the prayer Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. If it's possible take this cup from me. If it is possible, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. What was it that caused him such anguish in the garden? What was it that caused him such intense prayer that he sweat like drops of blood? It was asking for this cup to be taken from him. And what was the cup It's the cup of God's wrath. You see, again and again and again in Scripture and throughout the Old Testament, there's this idea that when God comes to judge, he gives a cup of wrath for the people to drink. The prophets go around and when Israel or Judah disobeys or someone else sometimes disobeys, they say, you have to drink from the cup of God's wrath and you've got to drink the whole thing to the dregs. And here in Revelation 16, we have bowls of God's wrath poured out on the world. And this isn't literal, this is symbolic. And it's symbolic of deep pain and suffering that you cannot escape. That's the wrath of God. So when Jesus is in the garden and he's praying, he knows what he has to bear. He has to face the wrath of God. All of this ugliness that we've been reading about, he has to face that. He has to step in. And he's the only one who can. He is the only one who can. Your good deeds, they do nothing as far as making you right with God. Really, nothing, zero, zero, nothing. Nothing as far as making you right with God. There are going to be a lot of really good people who spend their eternities apart from God. Because what God wants is reconciliation. And that only comes through the sacrifice of a perfect lamb who has no sin. Did you notice in chapter 16, there's this weird, I mean, there are a number of weird verses, but there's, in particular, there's a verse that's in parentheses that's like curse, curse, plague, plague, and then there's like, behold, I come like a thief, right? Chapter 16, verse 15. It's like talking about the demonic spirits and they're gathering the kings together, and then there's this verse that says, see, I'm coming like a thief, Blessed is the one who stays awake and is clothed, not going about naked and exposed to shame. And we're like, what is that about? Well, if you've been reading with us and studying from the very beginning, you may remember back in Revelation 2 and 3 where Jesus writes these seven letters to each of the churches, a letter to each of the seven churches. And the language here echoes back echoes from those first letters about, see, I'm coming like a thief. You've gotta be awake, you've gotta be ready. It's like Jesus is witnessing everything that John is seeing, the vision that John is seeing of the wrath of God, and Jesus is seeing it poured out, and he's seeing what it can do, and he can't stand it anymore, and he has to get a word out to his people. He has to get a word out and say, wait, guys, listen, I'm coming like a thief. It's going to be a surprise. You're not going to know what it is. And I want you to be ready. Listen to the wrath of God. This isn't something you mess with. This is real and it's coming. And I want you to be ready. Stay awake, he says. And then he uses this really interesting imagery about being clothed. And just like with the cup of wrath, this idea of being clothed is woven through the scriptures the Old Testament and the New, that we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That our sin is covered over by the righteous cloaks of Jesus. That we clothe ourselves in virtue as we live out the way the Lamb wants us to live out. So Jesus says, look, Friends, the wrath of God is coming and it's real and I bore it for you and I don't want you to bear it for yourself. So please be ready. And this is how we get ready. First, we say we're sorry. We repent, we pay attention. It doesn't take mom and dad coming 3 times to the door. The first time they're there, we say we're sorry. I'm sorry. And the second thing we say is, I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes my sin away. I believe that through Jesus Christ, I am reconciled to God, and I can't do it by myself. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God sent to redeem the whole world, and I love and trust Him. I'm sorry that I keep getting sucked into the same sin. I'm sorry that I lied to my mom this week. I'm sorry that I cheated on that test. I'm sorry that I have not yet set up good software on my computer to keep me away from the porn sites. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're sorry that we get tired of talking about racism. We're sorry that we get tired of talking about sexism. We're sorry for all the stupid things we have said and read about the election. We're sorry. We believe that Jesus Christ shed his blood for the complete forgiveness of all those sins. We believe that there is one name under heaven by which every person can be saved, and it's Jesus. We believe that those of us who are sold out to Jesus Christ, who are following the Lamb, will someday, someday be taken home, and death will be no more. We believe. So now's your chance. Tonight's the night. What's the sin that you've got to lay down? And what's the truth about Jesus that you need to own? Pick up your card and your pen. On one side of the card... You're invited to write, I'm sorry. And write what you're sorry for. Be specific. What are you sorry for? And then hang on, hang on before you get all uh, into your sorrows. On the flip side of the card, you're invited to write, I believe. And what do you believe? I believe that Jesus Christ has saved me. I believe that my sins are washed away. And maybe you're not there right now. Maybe it's, I want to believe. Maybe it's, I'm trying to believe. And if you're in a spot where tonight's the first night, or if you're in a spot where you want to believe and you want some help, on that side of the card, put down your name and your cell and your email, and one of the chaplains will respond to you. No other student is going to read your card, all right? Only the chaplains are going to read the cards. So... Put on there what you're sorry for, what you believe, and if you need help with anything, if if you're like, I'm struggling with pornography and I need help, I'm struggling with depression and nobody knows, I'm dealing with sexual assault in my past and I can't get rid of it, whatever it is, if you need help, write it down. But don't forget that on the backside we say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he is the one who takes away the sins of the world, I believe that in him I have a fresh start. Not starting tomorrow, starting right now. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life and I will trust him. I believe. Write that. And then when you're done, you're invited to go and put your cards in one of the baskets. There's one there, 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 there. There and there. And when you place your card in the basket, you will receive a taste of grace, a piece of Halloween candy <laughs> that you did not have to steal or maneuver or walk up to a stranger's house and ask for. Like grace, it is simply given to you. So take some time. I'm sorry. I believe and receive grace.